Hey, Annie, guess what? What? We just launched a business of biotech newsletter. Yeah? Yeah. I know what you're thinking. What am I thinking? We don't need another <laughs> newsletter. Yeah, I might have been thinking that. Annie, I swear on my grandpa's grave, you're going to like this newsletter. That's a pretty bold swear, Matt. Uh, hear me out. It's monthly, only once a month. It's ad free and it's modeled after the Business of Biotech podcast. It's got the same insight from the builders of biotech that you see in the podcast. So, what's not to like? That actually sounds like it doesn't suck. Pretty high praise, Annie. Check it out bioprocessonline.com backslash BOB. Go there and sign up for this newsletter. You won't regret it. In September 22, Beringer Ingelheim received FDA approval for a novel selective monoclonal antibody indicated for a condition called generalized pustular psoriasis, or GPP. The antibody, branded Spivigo, marks the first IL-36 inhibitor to reach the market, and the trial results leading up to its approval show big promise for those affected by GPP, which can be life-threatening if left untreated. I'm Matt Piller. This is the Business of Biotech. And on today's show, we're unpacking an antibody approval with Beringer Ingelheim's Dr. Karine Bustani, who serves the company as Senior Vice President, U.S. Research Site Head, and Global Head of Immunology and Respiratory Diseases. Karine, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having me. So, Karine, I, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the show for many reasons. But one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show is that in many in, in many cases throughout the, the history of this podcast, I've referenced Beringer Ingelheim uh, because many of our al alumni, if you will, folks who have come through and been on the podcast uh, have have worked their way through Beringer Ingelheim, perhaps on their way to you know founding their own biopharma company. It's almost like for many, it's a rite of passage uh, to, to work there. So I've referenced the company several times, but this is the first time I've been graced uh, with the presence of an exec from Beringer Ingelheim on the show, and I'm, I'm thrilled that it's you. Yeah, thanks, Matt, for having me. It, it's really a pleasure for me to be here and, and to re be representing Beringer Ingelheim. For sure. And, you know, as I referenced in the intro to the episode, I, I want to get into the the story around the approval of Spivigo. Um, but before we do that, I want to get to know you a little bit, uh, Dr. Bustani. Um, so I, I want to take sort of a, a, a brisk walk through your, your career to date. And I'm going to rewind all the way back to 2000 because you're, you're, your academic experience is interesting to me. Um, you you earned your PhD, I'm sorry, your PharmD from St. Joseph University. And this is interesting to me on a couple of fronts. One, I've I've only ever had a couple of uh, conversations with, with PharmD folks who are now working in, in industry and in, in biopharmaceutical development. And uh, it, it, you know, it strikes me as a little bit peculiar, I guess, uh, but it's not necessarily a common degree to work its way into, into industry. And I know there have been some like academic initiatives, uh, like at the at the pharmacy school in Albany, for instance, where there's a big push to introduce PharmD uh, graduates to industry, you know, as opposed to retail pharmacy or, you know, clinical pharmacy, that kind of thing. So, um, that's a lot of words to kind of get to the 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 context of my question. I'm curious back when you were working toward that PharmD and pre PhD. We'll get to that one in a minute. But as you were working towards that PharmD, was uh, was was therapeutic development on your radar? Uh, what was sort of the intended outcome of of your pursuit of that degree? 
Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I joined pharmacy school uh, to become a pharmacist with, uh, with that goal uh, in mind. Uh, and I went to college, as you mentioned, at St. Joseph University. It was a French university, actually, in, in Beirut and in Lebanon. Mm-hmm. And uh, during my fourth or fifth year there, actually, we began rotating, rotating in the hospital. And this is where I got exposed, actually, to interacting with the patients, thinking about their pharmacotherapy, etc., And that really prompted my interest, actually, to begin thinking about the possibilities of discovering better medicines for those patients. And it was in particular, I remember my my journey in in the dialysis center that really affected me at the time because those patients really did not have many options. So... um, yeah, this hit me actually very hard at the time that the therapies we had were not good enough. And I became interested in knowing more about how to discover medicines. And this prompted uh, then my next uh, move uh, or career move, if you will, when I moved on to uh, get a PhD in pharmaceutical sciences here in the US at the mm-hmm. University of Kentucky, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Was that your first your first uh, move to the US to, to attend? Yes. Uh, yeah. attend UK for for that degree, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's when I came to to the U.S. Well, that's uh, it's, it's super interesting, and I and I I think it's important for our audience uh, to to have that context and that background. A good portion of the folks who listen to our podcast are you know folks who are are in academia and moving in toward toward industry. So, I always like to get some understanding of you know sort of the career trajectory, starting with academia of of my guests, and um, you know it it gives uh, I think it gives audience members some. Uh, perspective on their options that you know maybe maybe a lot of folks, as I said, with with PharmD degrees, don't necessarily think about. Absolutely. And, you know, now it's actually there are dual programs of PharmD slash PhD at the same time, or even MD, PhD for the people that are interested in pursuing research, you know, beyond uh, what you learn in, in a typical PharmD program. Um, and I think it's it's actually a very powerful education because you're seeing from end to end, you know, the research that actually leads to the medicines and you learn about the medicines themselves. So for me, it was a, a very good background to position me for where I wanted to go, uh, which was, uh, you know, making medicines. So, Corrine, uh, why did you choose coming out of school? Why did, why did you choose after earning your um, your, your PhD from, from UK, a large pharmaceutical route for your career? Yeah, you know, um, as I mentioned, Matt, when I was actually uh, a pharmacist, I was rotating as a pharmacy student, I was very much... Um, uh, taken aback by how little patients, particularly in the dialysis units, had as far as therapies. And I really wanted to make medicine. So this was uh, my goal. And so for me, moving on to a pharmaceutical company was actually a natural transition rather than staying in academia. Um, and so I decided to join a large pharmaceutical company and I was there for several years and I worked on obesity, I worked on diabetes, and then I worked on the complications of diabetic nephropathy. And then after that, I actually um, was seeking an opportunity to specialize even more in the field of chronic kidney disease, which was an area that I was really passionate about. Uh, and so I joined Beringer Ingelheim to help build the portfolio for chronic kidney disease. So, Dr. Bustani, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, 
Uh, I want to spend some time talking, sort of dissecting maybe the uh, the approval of uh, spesolimab, or, or as I mentioned, uh, the the indicate, or I'm sorry, the candidate that was uh, branded Spivigo. So, uh, BI recently received approval for the this drug. It's the first FDA approved treatment indicated for uh, generalized pustular psoriasis or GPP. Um, and I want to spend some time kind of learning about the effort that that led up to that approval. Uh, before we get into that, though, tell, tell us a, a little bit about GPP. Yeah, so generalized pustular psoriasis or GPP is actually a, a rare, uh, but truly debilitating and maybe even I would say life-threatening disease, uh, which is characterized by this widespread uh, eruption of pustules that tend to cover the body uh, of the patients. Um, and, uh, you know, these can be accompanied also with symptom, uh, sim, uh, systemic symptoms that can go anywhere, you know, from uh, cardiovascular insufficiency, renal insufficiency, so lots of com- serious complications uh, that can be life-threatening for the patients. Um, so uh, people sometimes confuse it with psoriasis, with slack psoriasis, but this is actually a very different disease. This is the type of neutrophilic, a type of neutrophilic dermatosis, um, and we refer to it as such because of the improper activation of the neutrophils, which are uh, immune cells that are part of the innate immune systems that are overly activated in those patients. I mentioned it's a very rare disease. We don't know exactly how many patients have it because there's uh, so many uh, differences between uh, regions, actually, and, uh, you know, geographical differences. But we estimate that about one person out of 10,000 has actually GPP in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I saw that uh, that metric uh, somewhere. I also read read up a little bit on it, and and I read that uh, it's it's particularly difficult or, or challenging uh, as far as a diagnosis is concerned. Uh, you know, so that number is probably hard to pin down given that. Exactly. And and this is something we need to work on, um, you know, all together, actually, with the, with the entire healthcare system uh, to improve our ability to diagnose this disease so that the, all the patients that uh, could benefit from it uh, are able to access it. Mm-hmm. Um, just a qu- quick follow up on, uh, you know, as I mentioned, you joined BI a little more than 11 years ago. So can you frame up for me before we get into what sp- uh, spasolimab is, can you frame up for me a little bit like uh, where the company was on the journey toward uh, the, this IND and eventually approval when you joined the company 11 plus years ago? Yeah, I mean, the discovery of spezolimab actually started back in 2009. So it was uh, right around when, a little bit before I I joined the company. Uh, And I mentioned I had joined uh, to support the the chronic kidney disease uh, portfolio. So I was peripherally involved because we were looking at the pathway in many indications, actually. Uh, But I saw it sort of unveil in front of me in action in in the field of uh, immunology. And it was truly, it's a it's it's a beautiful story. It's a very inspiring story uh, of following the science and and le- leading you then to the right patient population. Yeah, well, tell, yeah, let's let's unpack that beautiful story, <laughs> Doctor Pistani. What uh, I don't know if you want to. You, you can start where you want to start. You can start with telling me about the molecule and, and what it is, uh, what the antibody is. You could tell me about how uh, BI discovered it. Where, wherever you find a fitting jumping off point. 
Sure. Let, let me start by telling you a little bit what it does, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about the story of how it was discovered. So it's, it's a selective antibody that blocks the activation of the interleukin-36 receptor, which is a key part of a signaling pathway within the immune system that we just mentioned is overly activated in those uh, patients. So this antibody, by blocking the receptors, blocks the binding of ligand that would typically activate the pathway downstream of it. And because of that, uh, the this overactivation of the innate immune system is sort of stabilized and the system goes back to normalcy. And then you start seeing a disappearance of some of these uh, postular flares that we're seeing in, 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 the, in the patients. So this is how it acts. This is how the molecule acts. Now, how it was discovered is a whole different story. Mm. It actually started with a group of scientists that were on a mission to discover new targets for the treatment of plaque psoriasis, which, as I, I just mentioned, is a completely different disease. So they started looking at patient data that they had access to, genomic data, genetic data, and came across this pathway. And very little was known about it. And I think, in fact, even the, the name interleukin-36 was not uh, actually established at, at the time uh, yet. So they became interested in this pathway and decided to generate tools to, to, to understand the pathway. So by tools, I mean different sets of molecules to see how the pathway responds to blockade, activation uh, in different cell types. So they went on, on this journey and they understood uh, a lot better the biology. And under this understanding of the biology actually led them to start pursuing it as a new target in the, in, in the portfolio of immunology. Uh, and this is when our biotherapeutics team came actually in the game and began, we began the screening of multiple molecules to try to identify the right molecule that would block uh, the interleukin-36 receptor. And we screened hundreds of molecules before we actually came about with spezolamab, uh, which, which has the right properties that we need to truly block uh, the receptors. And the team took that and, you know, began developing uh, the pharmacology of the molecules in vitro and, uh, and in vivo and gaining a better understanding of, of what it actually did and its full potential. This was really a, a key moment for the team, just identifying the right molecules so that they could truly explore the full potential of the biology. When you're striving to excel in a new arena, the best guides are the ones already doing it well. The business of biotech brings those voices forward to help new and emerging biopharmas turn their innovations like mRNA and cell and gene therapies into clinical realities. Tune in and subscribe for insights on hiring, regulatory, and other need-to-know topics for biopharma leaders. The podcast is brought to you in collaboration with Cytiva. Check out their resources at cytiva.com backslash emerging biotech. That's C-Y-T-I-V-A dot com backslash emerging biotech. Yeah, qu quick follow-up on that. I mean, I've, I've, I've read a little bit about uh, IL-36, and it's... it's, it's um. Uh, it's it's not a super crowded field, right? I mean, this is like one of uh, maybe a couple of efforts to to uh, to work on this this indication and and this pathway. Uh, obviously, BI is the first to to achieve uh, that that route, but it's not. I mean, it's it, it, the the indication, I guess, isn't necessarily one that's uh, in, you know uh, that, that's super popular among biopharmas to pursue. 
You're absolutely right, Matt. And, uh, you know, this this wasn't an indication that was necessarily on our radar from the get-go. But what the team did really well is actually follow the science. And the yeah. science guided them towards uh, neutrophilic uh, diseases, neutrophilic dermatosis. They saw a clear pattern, a clear biology there. Um, and there was at the same time, you know, genetic data that actually pointed uh, to a link between the pathway and GPP. So they decided to explore that further. And this is what led them to uh, positioning this molecule for this specific patient population. Dr. Bustani, give us a, a broad understanding, sort of a high level view of, of how uh, different teams at, at BI came together, or were involved uh, in, the, in the development of the medicine to bring it to patients. Yeah, you know, Matt, I mean, we say, you know, it takes it, it takes truly a village to to, to get a, a, a drug to launch. And I think it was even more than a village at, at the time. So we had the entire immunology team actually involved in this. We had the biotherapeutics team, so the molecule makers. They Without them, we would not have uh, Spizolamab today. They played a critical role in, in uh, you know, enabling us to screen so many molecules to find the right one. Um, I also want to truly recognize the role of our translational medicine team, because we talked, you and I, about uh, going uh, and positioning this molecule into GPP, which was is not necessarily the disease you think about uh, immediately, right? So the, our translational medicine colleagues played a key role there in, in push, helping us push in that direction and helping us follow the science by, you know, enabling those uh, initial studies that would became very critical for us uh, in patients to better understand the full potential of the molecule and be able to take the path of GPP. So they really played a, a very critical role in there. And of course, our non-clinical development colleagues, you know, that assess the safety of the molecules. There was a lot of work that went into that. We wanted to make sure we had a, a very tolerable and, and safe molecule. So they worked a, a lot on, on identifying, helping us identify and profile the right molecule. Yeah. Um, certainly uh, an endeavor of this magnitude and, and chronology, like these things take a long, long time to unfold, develop and, and, and move downfield. Uh, they don't come without challenges. I mean, can you can you share perhaps some of the challenges that BI faced along the way and how they were anecdotes, even how they were yeah. addressed? Yes, you know, there were so many challenges. And I, I recall one of the scientists actually telling the story of how they kept screening and screening and they really were not getting a molecule that had the profile that they were looking for. And uh, it wasn't until actually on the uh, eve of Thanksgiving, I think it was that Thursday morning, the person was there in the lab running uh uh, running an assay that they actually discovered that the molecule that they were screening that day on Thanksgiving happened mm. to be the right molecule had <laughs> wow. happened to, to, to which became spizolimab. So um, there were a lot of challenges in finding the right molecules. There were a lot of challenges later in uh, figuring out and convincing actually others that we should position the molecules for GPP because it was not a, a typical disease that you would pursue. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, can you, can you elaborate on, on who needed convincing? <laughs> 
it's interesting. I mean, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking to new and emerging biopharma, biopharmaceutical companies that have perhaps a, a smaller uh, audience of, of stakeholders who need convincing about pivots and, you know, uh, different approaches to uh, to development. I'm just curious in a place like BI, like what does that stakeholder landscape look like? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to put the value propos- proposition together. You know, what are you trying to do? What impact will this molecule have for the patient? Will it be truly transformative? What is the full potential of this molecule? And the team made put a very, very strong case together that, and with that, they were able to convince others, you know, managers, leaders that, look, this is, um, you know, a new territory for us, but it's definitely worth pursuing. The science is taking us in, a, in that direction. And we take pride at Beringer Ingelheim that, you know, we're, we're very patient-centric, you know, and so this was the epitome of patient-centricity, saying that this pathway is linked uh, genetically to this disease, actually, is probably one of the biggest proof you can ever have in science that it's relevant for this disease. So they were able to utilize all that, put a convincing package together, and they convinced everyone. They were true champions for the molecules. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take us through, uh, again, you know, a a good portion of our audience are are new and emerging biopharma leaders who... uh, uh, perhaps they've they've seen some you know commercial success and approval success in previous careers with with bigger companies, you know. But most of them are early in the clinical journey, uh, and and many of them ha- have yet to understand or experience the, this kind of success. So, I guess walk us through um, some of the inflection points, right? Some of the important sort of inflection points along the path. Um, what whether those are you know. Development breakthroughs, you mentioned a couple of those, uh, clinical readouts. I know there were some super solid, you know, from especially from phase two and and beyond, you know, I, I know you guys were working with some super solid clinical data, uh, regulatory wins along the way. Walk us through sort of what those major inflection points are on a journey like this. Yeah, I think the, the the first inflection point really is the entry into the portfolio when you when you actually discover the target. And I could I would probably argue that in drug discovery, this is the hardest part is identifying the right target that you want to go after. And this team, as I mentioned, you know, they did a a very interesting analysis that actually led them to discovering this pathway. So that was the first inflection point, uh, the discovery of the target. Then the discovery of the molecule, that's the, the second big inflection point. I would say the third one is the identification of the right patient population, the GPP patient population that was a critical turning point for for the molecule, for the entire project as a whole. We began thinking completely differently about it when we decided to go into a GPP patient. And it changed completely our entire clinical development, uh, what, you know, uh, the, the whole thing, what the, where, how the launch would be, et cetera, it had implications across the border um, and going into a field of dermatology, rare disease, et cetera. So we had to put all of our ducks in a row there, build the, the right teams, uh, uh, put together the right information to be able to tackle 
this kind of disease in, in, in patients. I think the ultimate inflection point is the launch, you know, the approval actually by the mm. FDA. I can't tell you how happy we were when we got the approval. It was all right. Paint. Let, let me interrupt you there. Let me interrupt you there, Dr. Bustani. <laughs> paint that picture for us. I mean, is it a is it a party, a celebration? Like what, what exactly? a party. <laughs> yeah, I want to hear about that. So uh, no, it's you know when we find out, it's just it, it's it's a very happy moment. You know, in our lives uh, as drug discoverers we would be very fortunate to ever touch a molecule that will become a drug. So when it happens, it's an incredible moment. I mean, people were crying. I know the scientist that actually, uh, the one I was telling you about who was screening the molecule, she had tears in her eyes. She was in my office. You know, we talked about it. And, you know, then later we had a big panel discussion where we brought all the scientists that worked actually on the projects from the early discovery all the way to the late uh, development. And they told the story of, of how it happened. It was just a very emotional moment. But we celebrated, of course, with champagne later. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, well, well deserved. <laughs> You you mentioned uh, you mentioned something that sort of hints uh, on those in, inflection points. You mentioned something that sort sort of hints at uh, at, at nimbleness and, and agility. Um, you know, and we see that as I said often in, in new and emerging and early stage uh, biopharma, where it, it's almost a, a, a requisite, right? Like you've got to be nimble, you've got to be agile. Um, in in big pharma, you know, maybe that isn't as requisite. It's not as key to survival or, or as necessary to survival. You could say like where you recognize in development an opportunity for a big pivot, it could be just as easy for a company of BI stature to say, you know what, that's not the area we want to play in. Uh, let's let's focus on a different asset. Let's maybe offload that asset to someone who who does play in ultra rare uh, dermatological indications, for instance. Um, tell me a little bit about the culture there and the environment that that sort of enabled BI to say, you know what? Yeah, we're on something here. Let's let's pursue it, whether it kind of fits the mold or not. Yes. And, you know, for me, this is actually this speaks to the uh, the mindset we have in, in, in our company um, that if you have we are very much a company driven by science. If we have the right uh, science package, the right pharmacology package that can convince our leaders, we are willing to take chances. This is why it's attractive for me to be part as a science to this is to be part of uh, Beringer Ingelheim because we are very much driven by what the data tells us. So the data was so strong telling us that we should go in that direction that convincing the leaders um, you know, was possible. And I, next, we're driven by our ability to reach patients, right? And so in this case, we felt that we could do it. We could reach the right patients by launching from BI a product from BI with our own force, et cetera, our own commercial team, et cetera. We are able to reach the right patients. And this is what drove us to kind of you know, keep it internal rather than actually, like you mentioned, uh, you know, spin it off or or partner it. We felt we could do it. Um, and I'm hoping, you know, we're right. <laughs> so, Dr. Bustani, you mentioned some of these uh, great inflection points along the way, uh, which it, it paints a, a wonderful picture for folks who haven't experienced it. Um, can you share for, as I said, for the, the bulk of our audience, it's new and emerging, you know, perhaps young first time uh, founders and CEOs of, of biopharmaceutical companies who have commercial aspirations. Can you share some advice on 
being, you know, being in a position like you were in playing a leadership role in moving this ball downfield, advice on the management of those inflection points, just some thoughts, you know, from a, from a professional around how to sort of, yeah, be, be a leader on, on the team. That's, uh, you know, so close working so hard and getting so close to achieving such a profound goal. Yeah, you know, for me, I, I try to follow the science, you know, and, and let my team guide me in my, in that direction when they come to me with a very strong scientific package supporting the, the molecule that they want to move forward. I view my job as actually facilitating the path forward. I try to remove the barriers. I try to think of creative ways by which we can get the molecule to the right patient. I mentioned to you that, you know, patient centricity is at the forefront of what we do. So for me, I'm always asking what's in it for the patient? What is the value that we're bringing forward for the patient? And that's the driver of the decisions that I make and in what direction I might guide the team to go so that more patients can benefit from the potential therapies. So really try to remove the barriers as much as you can and don't give up. Don't give up. Be a champion like your team for the molecule. Keep pushing forward with every molecule. We've had so many challenges before they reach launch. So don't give up at the challenges. Think creatively. Try to find new ways and always, always keep the patients at the forefront of your mind. Tell us a little bit about what, what comes next. Uh, so the approval happens. What's next for uh, Spisolimab? Yeah, so right now it's actually launched uh, here in the U.S., so uh, it's available. And uh, the next step for us is to continue exploring its full potential in additional uh, diseases, dermatological diseases, uh, so that we can, uh, you know, enable every patient that could benefit from it to actually uh, receive it. And so that's that's what's next for this molecule. Excellent. And and what's next for you? For me, it's to continue to make medicines. You know, that's why I'm in this field. That's why, uh, you know, I joined pharmaceutical pharmaceutical company from the get-go. I am driven by that. Uh, So my goal is to continue supporting my team so that we can discover better medicines that will truly transform patients' lives. That's great. Um, all right. One, one last question. I'm just going to give you an, an open-ended opportunity here. I, I often ask my guests, what, what, what didn't I ask you that I should have asked you if I were a better host, a better interviewer <laughs> that, that's central to this story? What did I gloss over too quickly? Or, or, or what should I have asked you that I, that I didn't? No, I think you you asked all the right questions. And I maybe I'll just take the opportunity to thank the amazing teams really that have worked day in day out to uh, to get us where we are with specifically with Pezolimab, but also all of the other ones that have worked on so many molecules that didn't make it. You know, I, I think the learnings we get from all of these failures enable us to succeed. And uh, so, uh, I just want to give a big shout out to our entire drug discovery team. And, and honestly, now more than ever, it's it's really an amazing time to be in drug discovery. The science is evolving. The, the new types of molecules that we have right now in our hands, the tools that we have uh, to, to study the biology, the pharmacology are just amazing. It's, it's a very interesting field. So I want to encourage every scientist who actually has an interest in drug discovery to explore that path because it is truly a unique time to, to, to be working in drug discovery. Sure is, yeah. 
Well, I, I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story with us. And congratulations. Congratulations on, uh, you know, to you, to your teams, to, to BI in general on the approval. It's, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big deal. And I, 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 uh, I, I commend and applaud you. <laughs> Thank you very much. We're, we're very proud of it. Well, thanks for joining me, Dr. Bustani. We'll, uh, you know, we'll keep we'll keep track of of that what's next statement, and hopefully have you back on sometime to talk about uh, the next project you're working on. I'd be happy to with the next launch. <laughs> awesome. So that's Beringer Ingelheim's Dr. Kareem Bustani. I'm Matt Piller, and this is the Business of Biotech. We're produced by Bioprocess Online in partnership with Cytiva, which demonstrates its commitment to biopharma R and D and those who lead it at citiva.com backslash emerging biotech. Check that out. And while you're browsing, go to bioprocessonline.com backslash B-O-B to subscribe to the new Business of Biotech newsletter. And if you like listening in on conversations like this with leaders like Dr. Ustani, uh, subscribe to the podcast, share it with your colleagues, leave us a review. And as always, thanks for listening.